the journey is finally complete. From the bottom to the top, Rangers are champions of Scotland. So much pressure on his shoulders. Not that you would ever guess it. A critical goal as Wickham try and try and chart away to an improbable second season in the championship. He's through the Hello and welcome to the Hopeless Wonder podcast with me, Adam Gipke, Craig Rogers, and Andy McBride. And if you're watching live with us right now, come and say hello and make your thoughts known as we go along. So we are lucky today that we are also joined by a guest. Uh, he's having some intermittent issues, but he is now joined us in the stream right now. He's a co-host, a writer, um, and in between that, his hobby is looking after or being a fan of his beloved Peter. And he also reviews Footy Scran occasionally. So on top of that, he's the podcast host of Monsportive. So we welcome him from a very scenic Eastbourne even. So uh, welcome to the pod, Alex. Alex, Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, Absolute pleasure to be here, gentlemen. Uh, Thanks for having me. Um, Looking forward to uh, getting involved in a decent debate today. And uh, once again, it's just a pleasure to be invited. So uh, hopefully I can add... A small amount of fuel to the uh, to the debate. <laughs> no, it, I'm looking forward to it definitely. But we also welcome back Andy. So uh, whilst you're away, Andy, uh, Ralph Ragnick has decided to become Austrian coach. So uh, if the pod drove you to that despair, what would you be doing alternatively? Is the key question. But more importantly, mate, how are you doing as well? I mean, Austria seems like a nice little killed vibe don't you you got the outs and all that kind of stuff and yeah you know what if that's if that's your stress reliever after leaving man united then why not um, but, um yeah I, I mean to be honest if i was managing united for six months i'd probably go on holiday for a year <laughs> forget all about it uh pretend it didn't happen but um no other than that i'm good and my break uh so yeah back on it this week Awesome. I heard someone I heard someone say on social media that uh, Ranić taking the Austria job is like he's playing sort of Championship manager or football manager. You know, you sort of go from Manchester United straight to the Austria <laughs> job. Or, you know, yeah, it's a very it's a very yeah, football yeah. manager thing to happen, isn't it? It's yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Especially when you consider he came from Locomotive Moscow as well. So yeah, we going go. through yeah. circles. Who so, says? Uh, yeah, who says football manager ain't realistic? Yeah, true, very true. And Craig, last time I saw you, you were sat on a throne this weekend, so it probably explains why uh, Celtic and Rangers fans were doing a combination of Braveheart and Green Street at Parkheads. But more importantly, mate, how are you doing as well? I, um, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Busy, as always. I just got back from Glasgow on Monday night, and I'm flying out to Berlin on Friday morning. So quick turnaround. I was at my wedding venue that we're getting married the next year. Um, hence, I was sitting on a, a throne in a Scottish castle, which is what Adam's referring to there. I don't actually own a throne. Um, <laughs> but you never know. But yeah, I'm good, mate. I am good. Excited to talk some football. What about yourself? How have you been? Yeah, good, mate. Good. I am feeling rather tired, but uh, I don't know if that's from the football or just the bank holiday itself or just the uh, euphoria of Wickham Wanderers taking on the uh, playoffs. Um, but I'm sure I'll uh, delve into that shortly. So uh, 
let's get on with it and we'll start off with story of the weekend so uh if i give it to alex to start us off seeing as you're our guest um yeah what was your story of the weekend alex yeah uh, well I, I want to focus, it might be a bit of uh, contentious on this particular podcast, having a Glasgow Rangers supporter and a Manchester United supporter, but um, I, I want to focus on the Klopp era of Liverpool and just and just seeing how that's uh, that's that's evolved as we see it now, that he, he's been in more um, or the same amount of European finals as Alex Ferguson. So he sort of hit mm. that sort of mantle. Um, they're on for the, the, the quadruple as well, which is... Which is it's never been achieved, I don't believe. Certainly not in modern football. So, really and truly, I wanted just to see what your, your guys. I know obviously there's con contentious sort of sort of viewpoints, but it was just to sort of bring up the fact of are we witnessing you know this dominant new dominant era of of Liverpool, sort of akin to the sort of Manchester United era in, in the nineties? Because it, for me, it sort of seems that way. They 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 certainly look a lot better than everyone else. I mean. Man City obviously are very good as well, but they 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 seem to have this edge of winning games and winning important games. I don't know if, what you guys think. Yeah, Andy, take it away. I suppose it, I guess, is a little bit biased on my side. To be fair, it's a very fine line, isn't it? Because when you reflect at the end of the season, they could just be literally the League Cup winners of twenty twenty two, and yeah. that by Liverpool standards would be considered a failure. Um, whereas, you know, if he goes on to win the Premier League, Champions League, and the FA Cup, you know, if they win the quadruple, they will they will take over that Man United team of 1999 being the greatest English side ever. Um, it really is a fine margin because as it stands at the moment, you know, Klopp's only won one Premier League in about seven seasons. He's won, um, you know, one League Cup and one Champions League. Um, you know, as a trophy hall, I guess you have to mitigate You've got Manchester City who've been in front of them, but you know, in, in the cold hard, you know, what have put your put your medals on the table, so to speak. It's only actually won like three sort of major trophies if you count the League Cup as one. I guess you know, you've got the Super Cup, um, also sort of the Charity Shield and Club World Cup, which are kind of you know, I guess they're sort of participation trophies to an extent. Um, so it really is a fine line. I think it'd be one of those situations where maybe if we look at you know five, six years down the line, obviously he's just extended his contract, hasn't he, by an extra couple of years. You know, if he's got three, four, five Premier League titles, another Champions League into his belt, um, and maybe a couple more domestic trophies, you know, maybe that conversation could be had. Um, and he is undoubtedly a fantastic manager. Um, I've said before that, you know, I would have loved for someone like Klopp to be at Manchester United. I still you know, believe that now. Uh, but I think it's too early to give it those greatest of all time shouts. And the mm. same goes for some of the Liverpool players as well. And I think it's quite easy to, you know, I guess re for recency bias to say, yeah, you know, like we're seeing on Twitter at the moment, like Van Dyke, you know, is the greatest centre-back of all time. Um, but yeah, I think we can't really answer that question now. I think he'll certainly be remembered as one of the greats, but say if he is the greatest will be um a question for another time i think craig what about you uh andy raises a good point about longevity um and about his sort of place in history now if he at 2026 yet wins another couple of Premier League titles wins a champions league and then retires i think he'll always be remembered as a good manager maybe not in the sort of sir alex ferguson realm because of that longevity and i think he'll need to go some mm. to be remembered in 
in that high esteem. Uh, in terms of here and now, I think Alex's point was about um, are we witnessing something special? I think we are. I think I'm on record in the policy and I think Gordon Cobb's the best manager in world football. At the moment, it's only really a conversation between himself and, and Pep. And again, I've said in the pod, I don't think Pep Guardiola's had a really hard job yet, if I'm honest. Um, I think he inherited, he inherited the the best class of young players ever at Barcelona. Uh, went to Bayern Munich mm. side where he walked the league and didn't do anything in Europe. And he's come to Man City where they were the richest club in the world for a long, long time. So, um, yeah, definitely too early for the, the greatest of all time um, sort of realm, but absolutely the best world at the moment. And we are witnessing something special. And it'll be undeniable that if they win, if they win all four, then that's something that won't be repeated for an awful long time. Yeah, no, definitely. I think with Klopp, you... <laughs> To an extent, we are seeing one of the best generational coaches around at this moment in time. I think the question will be, will we see him in the same light as your Alex Ferguson's? I think it's too early to say. I think it's very much what Andy said. Um, But one thing I will say about Klopp is every kind of season, he seems to transition his squad. So he's not really reluctant to uh, kind of change his uh, style or even the players so one of the things that I do think goes in his favour is that he's always looking to evolve his team certainly and for me I think obviously like I said I think he's done really good stuff um, amazing achievements with Liverpool Um, it's just going to be a question whether he can do it in terms of longevity Um, but yeah for what he's achieved in that short space of time because uh, don't forget I think it was about three seasons of transition he spent there trying to get them to that winning kind of mentality and uh, the right blend of players so you know he's done really well so um, Alex don't know how much of that you caught but uh, yeah um, hopefully that answers a little bit of our thoughts anyway yeah, no, no, yeah. I, I, I again, apologies, gents, but yeah, I, I, I caught the the majority of that, and um, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. I, I think, uh, you know, he, he, he does add, um, he does add to the squad, but only when he necessarily needs certain players. So, mm, yeah, definitely. You know, yeah. What about you, Andy? What was your story from the weekend? Uh, I think giving it uh, Richarlison, giving it the whole uh, Graves Sudes vibes, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, holding the flare, chucking it into the crowd. Um, that was a result that, you know, even though Chelsea haven't been in particularly fantastic form recently, uh, that, you know, that was a really gritty performance by um, Everton. Um, you know, I think maybe, maybe, I think what I've seen in the past sort of couple of weeks or so that maybe, there is a bit more fight in that team where, you know, when we spoke about it previously, um, you know, we expressed concerns about Lampard's ability to adapt yeah. and uh, things like that. But what what I find interesting with, with Everton at the moment, this I think Frank Lampard's picked a few fighters in the team. You know, the likes of Decore and Delph, you experienced pros who get stuck in. Um, you know, I think it's not a coincidence to see, you know, the likes of, um, you know, Deli Ali. Um, on the bench, even though he was bought in at quite mm. a high cost. Um, you know, and obviously Donny um, van der Beek nowhere to be seen. I think he's realised that, um, you know, he needs to, he needs people who, who put in the shift more than anything. And mm. picking up a few yellow cards, I think Jordan Pickford picking up some form um, from yeah. a, you know, not just an Everton point of view, from an England point of view, certainly makes things interesting for the Qatar World Cup. So, yeah, I think fair play to him. Um, suddenly, you know, Everton might look like they stay up and Leeds are 
been dragged right back into it. Um, so yeah, I think um, Everton picking up that result really blown the relegation battle under control. Quick one for you, Andy. With uh, De Beck, obviously Ten Hag is going to come back now. Do you reckon he's looking forward to Ten Hag coming to United and maybe rejuvenate his form? I think it's last chance, last chance salute for him to be perfectly mm. honest with you. Um, I think he chose the wrong move in the January transfer window. And I think that's a decision that he's got to own because he did have other options by all accounts. You know, he had New, there was apparently Newcastle's an option, mm. Crystal Palace, where stylistically you think he'd have suited Crystal Palace a bit more. Um, and I think he was badly advised, I think, to make that decision to go to Everton. Because uh, he's not, he wasn't the kind of player that Everton needed. Um, I think with Ten Hag, he is a systems coach, and you know, Ajax he does fit into that system. Um, and I think what Van der Beek needs is a run of you know eight, nine, ten games in a row to really make that judgment whether he's cut out for the Premier League. Because uh, through his doing or not, he's not really had a run of games at any given point. Uh, so there is, I guess, an assumption that he will get a chance after Ten Hag, and I'd probably agree with that. But there does come a point where someone's going to have to turn around and you know make a decision whether mm. it's going to work or not. But I think he'll certainly get a chance in pre-season to see what he can do. Um, and I, I would like to see him back to his best that we saw at Ajax. I mean, it wasn't too long ago where you know he was dominating Champions League games against you know Real Madrid and Tottenham and, Tottenham and things like that. So it'll be, you know, I think, I'm an optimist, and I like to. I would like to see him succeed. Mm, Alex, I think you were asked going to ask a question anyway. Yeah, I, I mean, just going back to your original original point now, I, I, I find the whole Lampard uh, appointment a bit of a strange one. In my, I, I think it was an, a strange appointment from Everton. I think the the, the prior um, Rafa Benitez appointment was even more strange. <laughs> I think it went against, you know, I I, I, I just wonder. I mean, it's a long drawn out story, but you've got to look at the the ownership. It's the you know. The, the ownership of uh, Everton. I'm sure the Everton fans, if they're listening, would be screaming at the screen as well because uh, who employs Rafa Benitez to Everton? It, it, that, that is going back to football manager for it seems again. It just doesn't happen. And then Frank Lampard, I mean, his track record is, is you know, pretty poor from what they're saying. He, he, he had a very good Chelsea squad that he, he got on the fringes at, you know, towards the top of the league, but ended third. The second season was miserable. And you're right, so he got sacked. I don't understand why Everton felt they needed Frank Lampard to sort of try and introduce a high-pressure sort of tick-attacker game when, when they're struggling at the bottom. And then he, he signings, whether they were his or someone else's. Again, Van der Beek, I think, is a fantastic player. And like you said, you know, he was dominating Champions League games. But did they really need him at the bottom of the Premiership at the moment? And I don't think we'll go there with Deli Ali. I mean, because... <laughs> I mean, he, he, I mean, Deli Ali hasn't performed since 2017, has he? I mean, he, pretty much, yeah. You know, yeah. So, uh, so, so, what, why they decided that 40 million pounds would be well spent on him is beyond anyone's guess. But I, I, I just find, I, I just find it a bit of a mess, and that's coming from a Queens Park Rangers supporter. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> do you yeah, think no. do you think Everton would go down? Um, I, I think if you look, if you look at the previous game, Pickford, like you said, was just unbelievable and you can see why he's obviously had so well he's had the amount of England caps he has done and you can see why Southgate goes back to him because he, he wins matches you know he does he does pull off those outstanding saves and um, I, if I had to put some money on it I would say Everton are probably still going to slip I think I think they 
they won that game on the back of a fantastic performance from Jordan, Jordan Pickford. So, mm. yeah, I, I think Everton will go down. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll discuss that shortly in the Premier League round. Just yeah. to kind of circle it off, uh, Craig, what was your story of the weekend? Uh, my story of the weekend is Leeds getting beat at home to Man City. Now, not because it's an unusual story. I think that was all expected. Mm. Uh, but for where it leaves Leeds. So I disagree. So I think Leeds are going to go down. Um, this weekend, I'm looking at the fixtures. Burnley at home to Villa, who have the slippers on. Uh, Villa have got nothing to play for. And then on Sunday, Everton go away to Leicester, who will either be still drunk from putting Roma out or will be down on dumps from going out of the tournament tomorrow night. And then Leeds go to Arsenal on Sunday. And I think by Sunday evening... I think Leeds will be in the relegation zone with everything above them with a game in hand. Now, a game in hand at the bottom is very different from a game in hand at the top. But I mm. think low-key Leeds here are, are really starting to slip. Now, Jesse Marsh came in and arrested that slide under Bielsa, and it stabilised a little bit, but it's now starting to seriously dip off now. And I think, um, I think Leeds are banging trouble. Everton Leeds seem, seem resurgent, seem a little bit a little bit gritty, some good results recently, and I think Leeds are banging trouble. Do, do, do you think it's potentially, I mean, I don't know what you guys think, you, you've probably covered it in the podcast, but the, the Bielsa sacking to me doesn't didn't really make much sense. I don't know if you guys are, or Craig, you, you agree um, with that. I, mean, I think it was the right decision at the wrong, I think it was the right decision at the wrong time. I, yeah, I think Bielsa had to go at some stage. I, I'm, I'm on record on, on the pod saying that at some stage this, this you know, punch-up style football would have to change, otherwise he'd be in trouble. I didn't see the point of changing it that close to the end of the season. I think Jesse Marsh is probably the right appointment, but they probably made it a little bit too late for them to really to make a difference. And will Jesse, if they go down, I think, will they be able to keep hold of Jesse Marsh as another one? I think, yeah, the sacking of Bielsa was probably the right decision at the wrong time. I thought they might have they either mm-hmm. sacked him last summer or before now or rolled the dice and, and ran through the season, but... Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. I'd yeah. like to talk about their fixtures later on in the show, Adam, if we can get them up and, and see what they are after Arsenal, who the next three teams they play. Um, but yeah, it looks, looks tough for them. Yeah, yeah, definitely does, definitely does. And I've just been uh, having a look at Everton's fixtures and I can understand why you're coming up with that viewpoint. So uh, let's just move on, um, conscious of time. So we've got the Champions League. As we're talking on this pod right now, Real Madrid are taking on Man City. Last time I looked, it's still nil-nil. So that's still going to be quite a tense game. But we did see yesterday Villarreal take on Liverpool and almost scare them. And by that, I mean, obviously... Uh, they took a two-goal lead at half-time, but uh, Liverpool did introduce Diaz. Uh, more importantly, it did seem like Klopp did give them a bit of a kick up the backside, and they did win 3-2 on the night. Um, go to yourself, Alex. Obviously, um, there was a lot said about Villarreal's style uh, getting to this stage as well, uh, in particular yeah, Jason I mean, Bundy. I, I sort of don't want to touch on that too much because mm. I think at the time, I think football's obviously very opinionated. I think Cundy's very... I like Cundy. I think he's very good. I enjoy listening to his points of views. I think on that evening, when you look at that match, he's, he had, I think every football fan has their right to say what they, what they think they saw. I, I don't really want to touch on it too much, but what I will say is Villarreal came out and looked fantastic against Liverpool. Really, really good. Um, Well-deserved their two-goal lead. Liverpool looked sluggish. Um, and whatever Klopp said behind closed doors... Maybe we'll never know. But, you know, going back to my original point about Klopp and and the sort of similarities with his success, like Alex Ferguson, something he said at half-time, whether it's the hairdryer or or whether it's kicking people up the butt or whatever, but, you know, Liverpool just completely turned that time on its head. And 
we're watching a a very dominant, very good Liverpool side. You know, reminiscent of of, of the glory days um, for Liverpool. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really want to touch too much on Villarreal. I think that they're playing a very good team at the moment, and um, yeah. yeah, I think Cundy's Cundy's words are always worth a listen. Um, I think it's quite a good fun opinion he had. You know, it struck up a lot of debate, so I'm all for it. But um, yeah, Villarreal came out and gave a good showing, but they're just up against a team of of the a decade, perhaps. But yeah, yeah I don't know what, what you guys think. Yeah, Andy, I was going to pose this question. Obviously, it seems like for me, Emery seems to be getting the best out of a bunch of rejects from the Premier League to an extent. Mm. Um, and maybe it was just the fact that the quality did tell on the night. I don't know if you felt the same. Yeah, I think, um, you know, Villarreal, if you consider the resources that they have, their wages, the average crowd, they have absolutely no right. Yeah. Um, just, you know, from on paper being where they are. But, um, you know, Emery's got them playing, you know, typically in a compact style. You know, I think there's this perception that, you know, You've got to play free-flowing football. Uh, that's easy on the eye that everyone mm. wants to see. But you know, Villarreal did it against Manchester United in the Open League final last year. They know they, you know, Enrique is, is very good at setting his teams up for the most one and two-legged ties. Um, and you know, he'll get players back. And I think, to be honest with you, Villarreal were a decent goalkeeper away from nearly being able to pull that one off because you know Liverpool really came. Um, at them in the second half, but and I think the difference with Liverpool maybe compared to a couple of years ago is the quality that they could bring on the pitch. You know, having haven't been able to rotate the likes of uh, Mane, Firmino out and rotate in the likes of Luis Diaz, um, you know, Diego Yota, um, you know, as and when they can, and the likes of Tiago Alcantara. Uh, they've added a, a lot to the team. I think um, I think just Villarreal just got you know. Just buckled under the pressure a little bit. I think the, the keeper really. I mean, oh, for yeah. at least two for at least two of the goals. I don't have a clue what he was doing. No, I really, really don't. Uh, I mean, that third one where he just goes charging out of his box, thinking he's prime Manuel Neuer. I just don't understand. Um, <laughs> there's been some funny tweets. Uh, about him going, you know, he might he must have had a bet on or something like that. But um, sort no, of Han, I think Han Sager's style, sort of uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it was it was a strange performance. I think the other thing as well. I think the, if I was to say that you know one week just a little bit, um, that will beat this drum is you know when Trent Alexander one does actually have to do some defending. <laughs> uh, you know, for the first goal that Villarreal scored, he was he was tucked in more in the centre back position with somebody else going out wide to try and close the player down. Um, and for the second goal, he just stood there while yeah. to- he jumped on top yeah. of him. Um, and I think normally when he plays for Liverpool, he either has Henderson or Fabinho covering his ass all the time, so he mm. can go forward. And going forward, he is absolutely exceptional. You know, for what he produces mm. at right back, it's unbelievable the numbers that he gets. But the concern is that when you when you're playing the elite teams, if you go back to when 
Manchester City played uh, Liverpool last, a lot of the attacks go down his side. When mm. Manchester City, sorry, when Real Madrid played Liverpool last season, they used the same tactic where the goals came from his side of the pitch. Uh, and I think maybe, you know, that's where teams can get at them a little bit if they have the midfield to be able to keep hold of the ball and beat the mm. Liverpool press. Uh, so, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, Liverpool over the two legs, obviously, you know, the better team. Um, I think they will have to play slightly better than they did last night to win the Champions League final. Uh, I think touching on, um, you know, the, J- the Jason Cundy comments, I think, you know, you're right. He has the right to an opinion. I suppose he does get debate going, but it just kind of feels a bit, um, I guess, a lack of knowledge of European football, maybe to an extent. Um, and, you know, I think sometimes there's common sense involved. It's just like, well, if you play Liverpool at their own game, you will get shredded. You will get absolutely shredded. Yeah. So if a team's mm-hmm. going to stick 10 men behind the ball, they're doing what they need to do to try and get a point or just try and nick a goal. Yeah. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, when you consider the disparity of resources between, and the players mm-hmm. between the two teams, they're, you know, Villarreal are more than right to take that approach. Mm. And Craig, if we just finish it in the full circle, if anything that first half taught us is that there is a way to potentially play against Liverpool, but you have to maintain it for 90 minutes as opposed to 45 minutes. Um, But we've also seen with Klopp in the past, certainly against the likes of Burnley, he doesn't like the direct style of football as well. So I'm not saying Pep Guardiola should do this every time he plays with Man City. Um, but do you think there is definitely a way to get at this Liverpool side? Yeah, you have to put them under pressure. You can't, you can't let them have time in the ball. You can't allow them to play their games. The same as playing Manchester City or any of these these teams. Mm. You can't allow them to have possession because they'll eventually punish you. And Villarreal did that. I thought the first half they were superb, but I felt like at half time it was almost like they went in at half time feeling that they'd climbed the mountain. They'd got it back to 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 two two. The second half Liverpool went up two or three gears and Villarreal couldn't handle it, and that's okay. You know, Villarreal have got a smaller budget than Burnley. Um, I'm, I'm very much of the opinion with Andy. It's you know, a lot of comments about anti-football. It's not Villarreal's responsibility to entertain us at home. As much as we like to see, you know, everybody play Man City versus Real Madrid and 4-3 and these great games, Unai Emery is out there to put out a team and play a tactic that gets the best result for his squad. And that's what he felt he did at Anfield. And the game was kept alive. If he'd have gone to Anfield and, and you know, had a punch-up, um, and got mm. beat 3 4 now, then the, the tie's over. So I've got no problem at all with them setting up. I think they did the right thing. They kept the tie alive at 2 0. Had a great first half in the second half, just, just, just couldn't handle it. You know, like, um, like we've touched already, there are only maybe one or two other clubs in world football that can hang with Liverpool were in that mood. So yeah, they've done themselves, you know, no shame at all. Um, but yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Right. We'll move on to the Premier League and. Craig, if we stick with yourself, we might as well bring in that relegation battle then. So, uh, yeah, obviously we saw Everton get a great result against Chelsea, um, a Chelsea side that we have been talking for the last few weeks of potentially losing their kind of fourth place or third place. It depends on where they end at the moment. But, yeah, like you said, obviously Leeds did get that unfortunate defeat. I think it was on the cards because of the way Leeds are playing at the moment. And then, obviously, Burnley seem to be doing some really good results at the moment, picking up a 2-1 win against Watford. Watford largely on the beach, and he saw Roy Hodgson with his sunglasses ready for his payoff, basically. 
Um, but yeah, let, let's talk about his fixture list because when I'm looking at it a few weeks ago, I would have said, yeah, definitely looks like Everton are on cards to get relegated. It's just purely because of their waveform. But now I look at it and the games that they've got away. I mean, it's Watford away, for example. And I can't remember who the other one was now off the top of my head. But it, again, it did seem quite easy. So yeah, obviously... Leicester depends, like you said, whether they're going to be on the beach um, based on the result against Roma. So, and and then you've got obviously they're at home to Brentford, at home to Chris Palace, and then away to Arsenal. Which Rory from the Anglo Italian pods has definitely said that's three points to Everton. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously Leeds they are a bit unfortunate because it is injuries as well, and that's played Bielsa beforehand as well. I almost feel like with Leeds, it's down to the lack of investment as well from the board itself, because that's what's been crying out at Leeds, that they needed a few quality backups, which they didn't seem to get in the summer. Um, but yeah, get your case on Leeds. Now, you're right about Leeds. I mean, Bielsa brought up what essentially was a championship squad. And, you know, they added Rafinha, a couple of others, but didn't really invest an awful lot. Um, I think Everton have got the best run of fixtures um, playing Brentford and Crystal Palace. I've always said that at this point of the season, you want to be playing teams that have got nothing to play for. You don't want to be playing for people going for the title. You don't want to be playing guys at the bottom scrapping for their lives. Um, playing a, an Aston Villa or a Palace or a Brentford at the moment is, you know, that's where you want to be. And for Everton to play those two and then Arsenal last game of the season, I, I fully expect Arsenal to be in top four and secure that by then. Um, and I think I think Everton will get a good chance here as well. So yeah, they probably get the, the best the best running. Burnley, I would have never have seen this when they sacked Sean Deitch. I thought that was a, a death mm. sentence, if I'm honest. I thought they were much, much weaker without him. I don't know whether it's just a bit of freshness doing something different. I, I'm not entirely sure. I don't watch Burnley often for obvious reasons. It's it's not an exciting <laughs> watch, but um they seem to turn it around and it looks like Leeds at the moment where you can see signs of life in Burnley. You can see signs of life in Everton. And I wouldn't put it past them to go and win. You know, two out of the last three games. I can't say that about Leeds. I just can't. Um, mm. I think they're gonna they're gonna struggle. So yeah, that'd be a bit of a surprise. I wouldn't have backed that, you know, two or three weeks into Jesse Marshall's reign because it did feel like they started to steady mm. that ship and it felt like they were almost safe. Um, but yeah, they are they're starting to fall away now as well. Alex, um Everton or Leeds, who are you fancying out of those two? Um, I mean, I, I said earlier on, I, I do think Leeds, I, I think, uh, sorry, I think Everton will go down. Um, I, I've, again, just that point I made earlier, I won't hark on about it, but I think Pickford just had an outstanding game, uh, kept them well in that match. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it will be Everton. I, I think they've been on a downward spiral. I, I think they got a lucky victory against Chelsea, thanks to a great uh, Pickford, Pickford game. Uh, and um, I, I think Leeds have got enough to pick up a couple of more wins, um, and I, yeah, I, I think it will be Everton. Um, unfortunately, I hate saying it, you know, Everton fans uh, listening, you know, I, I, you know, potentially, I hope I'm wrong, but um, you know, from my point of view, the way they're playing at the moment, they're they're on a downward spiral. I think they've got a lucky victory. So, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm going to stick with to my guns. Say, uh, yeah. Everton. Sorry, but after the after Leeds play Arsenal this weekend, they're at home to Chelsea which is no great shakes. Then at home to Brighton, who've got nothing to play for. And then away to Brentford last game of the season again, who will be more than safe. So, yeah, they might they might pick up two results there. Yeah, yeah I, I, I can just see, I, I know they've got a lot of injuries out, but they, they've got those type of players, um, the likes of Rafinha and Rodrigo, who, who can pull rabbits out of the hat, essentially. And uh, Nick 
Premier League victories. And I, I, I just think they, they've got a couple more wins in the bag. And I, I, I just can't see, other than that victory against Chelsea, which um, I can't really see Everton digging them, they're digging their way out of this. Um, but, you know, could well be right. It's so close down there, isn't it? So close. So. Mm. And if I move this conversation to a different kind of battle, you're currently seeing at the moment West Ham potentially drop out of their European places and uh, Foot Wolves are just slightly behind them. So they've got a game in hand, but if they win that game in hand, that potentially gives them the impetus to push up. Obviously, goal difference at the moment separates it as we stand. But yeah, um, West Ham, the form that they're in, and obviously they've got the Europa League that they're going to be playing against uh, Frankfurt tomorrow evening this is on Thursday night um yeah their form isn't great and they didn't play particularly great against Frankfurt um what, what's your thoughts on this at the moment I think um it's just a lack of investment um is really caught up with them you know they've played a hell of a lot of games this season mm. they've already got one recognized striker in Mikel Antonio you know though you know obviously they let Sebastian Haller go January before last without replacing them uh you know their owners do like to try and do things you know on the budget um I felt during January they could have really done with probably another three or four players to help that push so I don't think it's a reflection I don't think it's a bad reflection on West Ham because all, you mm. know if they stayed um uh, as they are uh, this season it's still a fantastic season for West Ham to finish seventh and um you know get to Europa League semi-final like that is still um a fantastic achievement um I think you know Wolves obviously have been you know they are a little bit hit and miss sometimes um mm. I think looking at the fixtures uh obviously Norwich City are down I'd expect West Ham to beat them um Depend, you know, it's unlikely the title is going to be wrapped up for Man City. So I think they will get a bit of a pasting from Man City. And Brighton are on the beach um, at the moment, mm. but they're not going to get uh, relegated. So, yeah, I think um, it, the, the fix of this has just caught up with them. Uh, they've still got some great players, but, you know, at centre-back, they've had some awful injuries or Bonner out for the season. Uh, you know, Craig, the, Craig Dawson, to be honest, he's been their only fit reliable centre-back uh, yeah. for the past sort of month or so. So I think they're limping towards the end of the season. Uh, but, you know, they've still massively outperformed expectations. And I think also if you look at Wolves fixtures, they've got Chelsea away, Manchester City at home, uh, Norwich and then Liverpool. I don't see, apart from obviously Norwich, I don't see um, Wolves picking up any points from that. So I think as far as... Um, European football for next season goes, I think um, West Ham will secure the Conference League. Mm. If I just go full circle on this question then, just quickly, Declan Rice, obviously, if West Ham do finish seventh, do you think he should be in a position where he stays at West Ham and tries to propel them? Or do you think it's now time for him to potentially push on to maybe a team that's in a higher position, whether that be in the Premier League or elsewhere? Let's start off with yourself, Andy. Um, I think that I think I see I foresee a similar situation just like Harry Kane, for instance, you know, yeah. whereas Harry Kane himself probably thinks he can move on to a you know a bigger club. Uh, or you know, a club playing Champions League football, and for me, 
I'm more I don't you know I don't doubt he's got the ability to do mm. it. However, in the post sort of COVID climate, I don't see who's going to fork out a hundred million pound for Declan Rice or hundred you know or the yeah. uh, you know even more apparently because apparently Moyes has been quoted as saying he'd, he'd be loath to accept a hundred and fifty million pound for him. Um, so apart from what Manchester City. I don't see who's paying the kind of money that West Ham want. And that's the sticking point. I think with Declan Rice, he's going to have to wait until he's in the last year of his contract or even maybe to the end of his contract. And he has rejected free contract offers from West Ham. So I think long term, that is probably the plan for Declan Rice. Uh, I don't see him moving this summer unless someone offers mm. silly money. Uh, um, yeah, I just don't. Yeah, I just don't see it happening. Yeah, if I'm, uh, I would take it at United all day long, but they're not in the position as a team financially or uh, to be able to do that at the moment. I don't think. Mm, Alex, you're in much of an agreement, quite sounds Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I was fortunate enough to watch Brentford play uh, West Ham a few weeks ago, and um, to just harking back slightly, slightly. Um, West Ham are just shattered. They're, they are, they're leggy. When, when you watch them in the flesh, Dawson's running around. I mean, he looks like he's got 100 injections coming out. You know, they all look shattered. They all look fairly injured. Antonio's, you know, desperately trying to force the issue up front. Um, Declan Rice, I'm, I'm pushing on to this point, watching him in the flesh is a phenomenal football player. And it was the first time I'd seen him play in the flesh. And he he literally propels West Ham. He picks up the ball from the defenders. Everything goes through Declan Rice. Um, he, he's a phenomenal football player. Very, very... He, he affects the game perfectly. West Ham, the reason why David Moyes is saying 150 million is because he needs this guy to keep West mm. Ham ticking. Because that's exactly what he does. He, he keeps that West Ham machine ticking over because... Moyes has got them defending fantastically from the back. Like you said, uh, Andy, the investment's not been there. They've got Antonio, who's who's leggy now, and he's shattered. He hasn't got the same sort of impact he was having at the beginning of the season. But Declan Rice is is propelling this West Ham side, and uh, he's fundamental to mm. any success they're going to have this season and and following season. So, for my for my mind, West Ham need to do everything they can to keep him. And uh, no wonder David Moyes is sticking these sort of ludicrous sort of pound signs above his head because he's yeah. worth it to West Ham. So yeah, he's, he's yeah, no, that good. Definitely agree with that. So yeah. I mean, who would you replace him with? That's the thing for West Ham; they just don't have that kind of caliber of player right now. And the West likes Ham of Mark Noble, him, they couldn't. The problem, no, that's the it? point. That's the point. No, no, I don't no. think there's anyone coming through the youth team as well. You don't see that kind of same production line that they've been used to in the previous seasons, like for example. So I think this is the thing. So he's a rare type of midfielder and a player that they were almost going to release, which is weird when you think about it. But yeah, they were potentially going to release him. But um, let's leave the Premier League there because I'm conscious that we've got a lot to still talk about. And we are going to talk about the Championship, in particular the revolving door. So we have got Fulham and now Bournemouth now confirmed coming back into the Premier League, which will uh, give Craig and Andy lots of joy as they uh, reminisce about how they can replicate Norwich's season for next year. <laughs> Um, but yeah, in between that, we've also got in the playoff mix as it currently stands, Nottingham Forest 
Huddersfield, Luton and Sheffield United. And potentially it could be Millsborough and Millwall, dependent on next week's scenarios or this weekend scenario, should I say. Um, because one scenario that was really weird um, to see, uh, if Millersborough win 2-0 against Preston and Sheffield United draw one all in their game against Fulham, then they would be on the same goal difference and it would go to a head-to-head, which would mean Sheffield United gain that place ahead of Millersborough. So a weird kind of combination only, there. Only in the um, championship. But, but only in the championship, right? Because, um, yeah. yeah, it's so weird. I mean, this season, I mean, if you talk about even League One, it's been quite stretched in that sense as well. Um, but yeah, obviously, Alex, we brought you in for not just that, but also QPR. But if we get your thoughts first on the teams that have gone up, what have you made of Fulham and in particular Bournemouth? Well, the, the, the first question is, uh, is who's going down next season with Bournemouth and Fulham? That's the first question. <laughs> but anyway, so, no, I mean, to be, to be fair, um, I, I could talk about this all night, really. Um, but I'll keep it in a nutshell. Um, Fulham and Bournemouth have had the parachute payments. Their squads are far more valuable than anyone else's in the Championship. Um, this season, the Championship, for my mind, has been particularly poor. I think, uh, you know, having Queen's Park Rangers, you know, sort of swimming around the Championship for so, uh, sorry, the playoffs for so long shows mm. how bad it's been. I mean, we haven't, we haven't exactly been in form this season. We've just been picking up results here and there. And uh, we've managed to somehow cling on towards the end, of, you know, in those playoff places. So I, I just think it's been a particularly bad um, championship um, in terms of quality and in terms of teams hitting form. I think it shows with some of the results that Fulham have got that I think they've, they, they might have won 5-0 on a few occasions this season. Uh, and then they beat, Luton 7-0 the other night and Luton again they're they're swimming around the playoffs so um, for my mind it's been a relatively easy coasting season for both I know Bournemouth only just went up the other day but they've won pretty much week in week out relatively easy with with a little bit of a blip but Fulham have just you know the the quality they've had um, in, in most of the games in the championship has been far far better than anyone else so I mean, yeah. Mitrovic, how many goals has he scored? I mean, isn't he hitting sort of almost 50 goals? Isn't he? It's just, it's just, yeah, 43, I think 40, he's got 40, this season. Yeah. I mean, he's beat. I mean, that's, that, 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 that's, that's Ronaldo and Messi form, isn't it? You know, we're talking about Mitrovic here, who can't <laughs> score double figures in the Premier League. You know, I mean, when he was 26, he couldn't score double figures in the Premier League. So he's hitting mm. almost 50. So it just shows you. I mean, he's coming up, coming up against Queen's Park Rangers, and we are dreadful at defending. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I reckon all three of you up front, if you play against QPR, you'll definitely be on the score sheet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, and, and just finally touching on that, again, I, um, QPR, yeah, I think we spoke before. It's it's a tough one. It's, um, I think, now the dust has settled with Warburton. Um, I'm not saying it's the right decision, but there's been a lot of stuff going on in the background. Uh, Warburton wasn't happy to sort of follow the, the formula of bringing youth, the QPR Youth Academy, into the squad. He didn't think it was good enough, apparently. Uh, he objected mm. to sort of bringing those players through. Uh, so he, he, in January, he signed his own, he got his own way and signed his own loan players and it, it, it didn't work out. So I think he's, his head was on the block from January, if I'm led to believe that. Um, mm. So, yeah, I mean, and, and just before I uh, hand it over is QPR really haven't been 
on form this season. We've just nicked a few results. And for us to be sort of hanging around the playoffs shows how bad the quality has been this year, in my mm. opinion. So just on that, so QPR, obviously there's been a lot of speculation about Ilias Chair. Um, one player that I do rate from back in the day, um, he seemed to have the kind of ilk of Eze to an extent. Um, do you think he's the next one to come out of QPR and potentially be at like maybe Premier League club next season? No, I, I, I doubt that. I doubt that. Mm. I, I, I do think he's very, very talented. Um, I think he's, I think he's a great football player, uh, but the, the way he affects affects the game is is not is not Premiership quality in my eyes. Eze was Eze was outstanding. You watched that guy play football, and you knew he was special. Mm. In his chair, is a great football player, but for me, if he goes up into the Premiership, he's I'm not sure how he. I'm not sure he would affect it how he does in the championship, and that's just me being brutally honest. You know, um, mm. great player for QPR on his day, uh, and, and probably a great player for most championship teams. But the, as we all know, the divide between championship and Premiership is huge. Not not mm. only in uh, the competition, but just the way the way in which the football's played. It's a different game. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, that's it, really. It for the I'm not yeah. sure if anyone else has any opinions on it, but I've I've watched him quite closely and very gifted, but doesn't quite cut it for me, especially in like the Premiership. No, that's it. Um, Craig, if I go to you, who do you fancy to join Fulham and Bournemouth? Because yeah, it looks like Nottingham Forest have been one of the form sides until last night when they got beaten by Bournemouth. But then we've got Huddersfield who are hovering there. They seem to be doing that kind of direct style of football. Um, you know, maybe not the most attractive, but they are getting wins. Um, Sheffield United seem to be hanging on at the moment, but Luton Town in particular. They were doing quite well. They've just edged off a bit now. And then you've got potentially Millsborough or Millwall potentially joining that mix, dependent on results that go into the weekend. So out of that mix, who do you predict potentially to join Bournemouth and Fulham? Uh, I think uh, Nottingham Forest. I think since they've changed their manager, they have um, really, really improved. And I've been surprised that they're up there. And I think they've not been in the Premier League of the top flight for about 25, 30 years, so that would be good to mm. see. And in terms of shithousery, I would love to see either Luton or Millwall get up. Luton, because Kenilworth Road, by all accounts, is a fucking toilet. And Millwall, just to see the fear in the Metropolitan Police's eyes, when you <laughs> have to go to Arsenal, Ful- um, Fulham, Chelsea, Tottenham, just, yeah, just to see the, the fear in the, the police eyes. So I think it'll be Forrest, it be good to see them. But I'd be quite happy with either Millwall or Luton Town also. Mm, and Andy, it's just to do the full circle. I'd, I'd like to see Forrest go up. Um, I think Steve Cooper's done some really good work. He did some really good work at Swansea when they were readjusting to life in the championship. Uh, he's worked to be in the youth players. Um, and it's also been interesting to see one of uh, the Manchester United low players, uh, James Garner. Uh, he's had a really good season on loan at Forrest. Uh, very good ball playing midfielder, uh, great set piece taker. I think it'd be one to watch. I think, yeah, I think it'd just be good to see. I just want to see a bit of variety. You know, unfortunately, obviously, you know, Bournemouth and Fulham going up is just woefully predictable. So I think it'd be just be good to see some somebody different. Um, mm. I, I think um, Millwall would just be hilarious just for the. Um, 
you know, the, the Fury's Metropolitan Police. <laughs> but I think Luton Town, I think they, you know, all right, the ground's a bit of a shithole, but they, you know, since, because of all that, I say, I remember back when the holder had all that financial trouble and it went yeah. all the way down to what is now the National League and I guess what used to be the conference. Mm. And, you know, they've suddenly turned it around into be a very well-run um, club. And, and they do show that you can run a club on a budget, if you recruit the right players, got to find method of playing. And I think just pure shit housing value, see the likes of Kevin De Bruyne rock up that kennel of throat <laughs> while you got some bloke having a cup of tea in a flat overlooking the ground. Uh, <laughs> I think it'd be brilliant. I think the best bit about Kenilworth Road for those players is the coach can't go as far as the Kenilworth ground, so they have to make the walk yeah. into the ground itself. So that'll be very interesting for the likes of a Man United, etc. Doing that humbled walk through the uh, streets of Luton. Um, yeah, all I can say is I can vouch for the away end being absolutely horrendous. You are basically need by the next row of seats. That's how bad it is. So uh, yeah, and their fans aren't particularly pleasant. Let's put it that way. On the way out, uh, lots of cans and etc. being thrown at you. So uh, yeah, expect that if they do go up. Um, Poor Paul Wickham, Poor Paul Wickham. I know, I know, but we've we've won our fair share of games, so I'll take that. I'll take that against yeah. Nathan Jones, especially who's a wind up merchant <laughs> to the max, shall we say? Yeah. Um, Let's bring in some Serie A because, yeah, a lot did kick off over the weekend. Um, so um, let's start off with yourself, Craig, uh, Mourinho, and uh, the uh, typical deflection started uh, after that nil-nil result against Bologna. Um, interesting that Lazio decided to come back with a statement saying, obviously, if you are interested in our club so much, then uh, your priorities are in the wrong place, basically. But yeah, that's just a summary of exactly what they said. There's a lot of uh, superlatives used by Lazio, in particular comparing VAR decisions. Um, but yeah, that was just ingenious by Mourinho. Get the uh, fans on board and uh, deflect the uh, result onto their rivals, right? Um, but Classic yeah, Mourinho. That- Classic Mourinho yeah. there. And uh, yeah, obviously uh, that means Romeo have dropped out of fifth place as well. So uh, are you a bit fearful now? Um, well, that's exactly why the deflection tactics came out. So that 0-0 draw um, against Bologna on Sunday means that Roma can now not finish in the Champions League spots, which after bringing Mourinho in, the biggest spenders in Serie A last summer, is seen as a bit of a failure. So that's why he's, he's opened up the little... Jose Mourinho, black book of excuses, and started mm. uh, and pulled one of them out and, and, and found that out. So, yeah, I'm just looking at the the league now. Your Lazio on 59 points, the same as Roma, um, and then Fiorentina and Atalanta, seventh and eighth. So, you know, even even Europa League football for Roma is not not guaranteed. Um, and although you know Roma have been unbeaten before they played Inter, were unbeaten for about 11, 12 games, but it's not been good. It's been a lot of draws. Narrow be- narrowly beating sort of Spezia's and Empoli's and all these these crowds. So, mm. um, yeah, I think the best they can do is, is finish fifth, qualify for Europe again, and if they can win the, the Conference League, then I think that'll probably take the sting out of it. Um, but yeah, the Friedkin group did not buy Roma to to play in the Europa League and finish fifth and sixth. They, they bought them to be a Champions League side and call and challenge for Scudetto. So, yeah, I think Mourinho will get the summer and put it down as a, a bit of a transition season um, and then go again next year. Yeah, no. Um, also, notably about this weekend, we saw the Genoa derby. So, uh, Sampdoria yeah. getting the important <laughs> 1 0 win, uh, Sabiri yes. scoring the goal. But uh, 
yeah, obviously in the 90th plus six minutes, uh, Genoa were given a penalty and uh, Cruciato unfortunately had his penalty saved. Um, but you could see how devastated it was at full time as well. Um, but yeah, obviously the one thing I will reminisce, it's not about the game because the game itself was absolutely poor. But actually the scenes of the stadium, like the fans, just the atmosphere in that ground was like magnificent. I've never seen Genoa like that. You know, it was such a great event, uh, despite the fact that it does mean pretty much that Genoa are condemned to relegation, although it's still feasible to, for them to stay up. Interestingly, though, we spoke about it also last week, Craig. Salinatana still in the hunt of potentially staying up <laughs> tomorrow. They face Venezia as well. Um, so a big game for them because, uh, yeah, if they win that, that takes Calgary into the relegation zone. And the interesting spin on this, if I just bring it in, Walter Mazzari, if he's fired by Calgary as it currently stands, he would have his contract renewed. Um, he signed a contract in September, which said if he was sacked while the club was not in the relegation zone, then he would have his contract extended until June of 2024, which is absolutely bonkers, but it could only be done by an Italian club that is based in a typical mafia star place like Calgary, right? So, uh, yeah. No comment from me. I'm going to keep, you know, we're, we're live here. Our, our, our sort of internet addresses might be pinging up somewhere, you know, we need to be careful what we say. If we, I get we, a we horse's head, Alex, late. then I will fear for my life, that's for sure. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, I thought that was absolutely hilarious when I saw that. I mean, Serie A, we know is bonkers, but yeah, when I saw that, it just like baffled me. Um, but at the same time, we also saw the uh, top two win their games, uh, importantly, so yeah, uh, we did see AC Milan winning 1-0 against Fiorentina. Liao there um, scoring, what I'd say, a very easy goal in the end. Um, they did pound them, though, for the majority of the game because Fiorentina are on the poor run of form. And then Inter Milan winning 2-1 against Udinese. Again, I don't know between Alex and Craig if you saw Dzeko's kind of dive for the penalty. Um, but yeah, that was quite epic, I have to say, for a big man to fall that quickly let's put it that way um, he's he sort of made touched. a career of it hasn't he he's made a career of the sort of stumbling fall into the box and it's it's part of the modern game but even more so part of Serie A you know it happens yeah. and uh, you know we shouldn't be shocked by it uh, I don't think we should be uh, you know relatively against it really they get given don't they I mean we could argue to the cows come home about diving yeah. in the box, but I, I don't think it's going anywhere soon. I think it's, it's no, it's definitely so not, definitely not. VAR in Italy doesn't exist. Um, but <laughs> more importantly, I didn't know what was worse, whether it was that dive or whether it was his miss on the 56th minute where he was through on goal and somehow the ball was just going to the corner flag. It was terrible, absolutely terrible. Yeah. So you have to watch that on YouTube as well. Um, but Alex, you've been fond of the Serie A season. What have you made of it yourself? Um, I, I, it's great to be talking about Serie A because um, I, I just think we're witnessing um, a sort of rebirth of the league. It's it's competitive again. Uh, we've got, you know, we, we don't have Juventus at the top anymore, which is hats off to Juventus say, and Conte they had that period of time where they just won the Scudetto year, year after year. But uh, isn't it refreshing to see, for me, I mean, I, I don't sort of affiliate myself with one club in, in Italy, but isn't it just refreshing to see AC Milan, you know, this nostalgic football club at the top of Serie A and sort of on the cusp mm. of, you know, sort of lifting the Scudetto again. I, I, I think they're going to get over the line, but you've got, you know, and I'm sure um, 
Italian, Anglo-Italian pod will have a few things to say about it. But you know, um, Inter are one of those one of those teams who have just they've got that consistency. They've been a bit off form uh, of mm. late, but um, it's so close, and I just think it's. It's a breath of fresh air for Serie A to see this battle at the top, this battle for yeah. European places. And again, you've got the you've even got the relegation battle, like you said earlier on, with Salah Tsetana sort of sort of edging their bets towards the end of the season. So I ju- I just think the Serie A is back. We've got some great mm. players coming through, and um, it's just refreshing and it's nice to watch Italian football again. You know, it's, it's been quite mundane for pushing on probably a decade you know, watching, <laughs> I think that's links with Juventus winning it every season right yeah watch, watching Juventus win every year at a canter and um, which happens you know but it's just nice yeah. to see this competitiveness of the Serie A come back and it's, for us as fans it's just it's fantastic and it, um, you yeah. know that, 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 I don't know what you think Andy as well but that, that nostalgia to see AC Milan challenging for the Scudetto again is just you know it's something we haven't seen for many many years so it's good I think also, I think AC Milan have always got, I've had a very good history of getting the absolute most out of, uh, you know, aging players, if you like. I mean, they were doing it back in with Maldini and Nesta, playing mm. to the late 30s, going on to 40, and Costa Curta. And, you know, if you look at what we're doing now with Olivier, you know, uh, mixing the like young talent with the likes of Rafa Diaw, Tonali, mixing them up with the likes of you know, Slatan Ibrahimovic, who's now 40, which you can't believe, and um, you know, Olivier Giroud as well. Um, and I think they just they finally got that mix of players right because uh, they were a little bit haphazard for a few years. Um, you know, I remember everyone saying also with Inter Milan, it was we, I think we said on the pod after they sold Lukaku and Akimi, we all kind of sort of backed them to struggle, really. Uh, but in all fairness, they've um, they still looked pretty decent on the most part. Uh, I think the romantic in everybody would like to see Napoli get us a Descadetto eventually. Uh, I think they've come so close, but you know, yet so far, and with their owner who's you know the politest way possible an absolute nut job <laughs> as entertaining as he is they just need a bit more stability on that front uh you know the, the, the you know the good apparently there's been rumors that you know Spalletti would be uh ditched again um, at the end of the season so yeah um but yeah I was gonna say to uh, pose a question to both you and Andy I was going yep. to ask you both basically there was this analogy that came about from a number of Italian teams that said that whoever wins the Serie A this season represents a, what is a poor Serie A. Um, what is your thoughts on that? Because I felt that, yeah, there's a lot of quality in Serie A, but I appreciate the sentiments of it being one of those that no team is really dominant at the moment. So, um, I, yeah, a strange scenario, yeah. isn't it? I, I, personally, I, I'll keep it very short because I'm coming to. I, I, I disagree with that. I, I, I think the quality's mm. been a lot better. Uh, I think you, you do have the aging players, but the game's different. It's not fast paced. It's quite slow. It's more tactical, as we know with Italian football. Um, I, I don't think it's lacking in quality, and, and I, I think you're looking at teams mm. like Napoli, who have gone off the boil in Inter Milan, and and now AC Milan, Milan emerging again as a as a force. No, I, I, I disagree. I disagree. Yeah. I think I think I think the quality in Italian football is there. It's my opinion. Yeah, and certainly, if anything, it's had a lot more goals compared to the rest of Europe as well. Um, Andy, are you much of the f- feelings of uh, Syria being poor? I mean, 
I don't think it is poor because you know you've got um, Napoli got through to the latter stages and got knocked out by Barcelona, which is no real shame in that with the form that they picked up um, mm-hmm. into Milan and um, you know Juventus got to the knockout stages of the Champions League. Um, AC Milan gave a good account of themselves; they were just looking to be in the group that they were in. So yeah. you know that Atalanta as well gave a really yeah. good account of themselves. In the Champions League, uh, so I, I think that's quite a, a lazy comment to make, really. Mm. Um, I think you know they've actually done quite well. Like they've, you know, in European competition against elite sides or supposedly better sides, they've they conduct they've um, put up a really good fight. Mm. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't think it's through a lack of quality. I think maybe what some people are referring to is that you know they're lacking a real heavy, heavy hitter in Europe, you know, obviously when Juventus were dominant, they were regularly getting to the semi-final and the final of, you know, Champions Leagues and things like that. Um, you know, maybe there's someone, but I think it's, you could have to pick what you want. You either want one really, really dominant team or you want a competitive league. You can't have both. Um, mm. That's my view on that. And, you know, I guess from an outside looking in, I think I'd rather... A more competitive leagues with more teams, you know, getting to the latter stages in Europe, even if there isn't one specific dominant team. Yeah, right. Let's move on to the weekend preview. And this is where I get Craig to talk about Rangers' chances for tomorrow and also Roma. So uh, let's start off with Rangers. Unfortunately, lost the first leg, but I think you would have taken that result um, given how hard uh, Rangers played it against Leipzig as well, right? Yeah, you've got to remember Leipzig are, are a good side at home. They beat Man City at home in the Champions League this season. So Rangers, a bit like Villarreal, were, we're not going to go there and have a, a, a gunfight in, in Leipzig. We went there to, to keep it tight and, and with the same object of just keep the tie alive. When we get that back to Ibrox, there's, there's nothing quite like a, a European night at Ibrox. So yeah. it was always the case of, you know, let's keep it let's keep it 1-0 within one goal. If we can get a draw, fantastic. And we were very, very close to doing that. Um, you know, Leipzig could have scored a couple, we could have scored ourselves. Um, and yeah, unlucky to consider Wonder goal in the last 10 minutes of the game, which which can happen. But yeah, this this tie is, is absolutely alive. Um, we'll have Aaron Ramsey and, and Kemar Ruth back, hopefully. Uh, I know they'll have some players back also. So both teams will be improved from where they were on the first leg. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd probably give us about a 50 50 chance. We've beaten, mm-hmm. um, Dortmund this season, I get. We've beaten Braga, um, in recent years we've beaten Final to a, a semi-final of the Conference League. Um, Rangers European pedigree is a, a real thing. Now. We are, we are a, a good European side uh, over two legs. So, yeah, Leipzig are probably the best that we've played in, in Europe since we've come back, really. Um, and Christopher and Kunku and Danny Olmo are, are fantastic. So we need to be very, very careful. But that. Um, that atmosphere in, in, in Ibrox tomorrow night, Leipzig will not have played in a, a stadium or a, a crowd like that all season. No. Um, and yeah, just hope the guys can, can make it as intimidating as possible and, and get a result. Alex, we've also got Frankfurt taking on West Ham. They're leading 2-1 on the tie at the moment. Uh, what do you fancy of West Ham's chances? Um, I, I don't really know what to expect. I, th- I think... Uh... I mean, go, go, going back to what I said before about West Ham, they, they, they seem extremely exhausted, a lot of the players. It, uh, I think Adley touched on it earlier. It's been a very... Uh, they've played a lot of games this season. I, I, I don't think you can predict it. I think, I, I think it's it's 
open wide, like Craig said, with, with the Rangers. It, it's such a good competition this year, the Europa, Europa League. And it's, I'd love to see Rangers uh, lift the Europe. Oh, it'd be incredible to see that. I mean, the scenes in, in Scotland and Ireland oh, would, yeah. would just be un, unprecedented. You know, we haven't seen, uh, you know, Scottish teams progress in Europe like this for a long time. And it, I, I, it's just fantastic. And like, I, I'm, I've never been to Ibrox, but I'm sure on European nights, it's like nothing else. It's like, you know, it's, it must yeah. be un, unbelievable. And um, I, I, West Ham, I mean, I'd, I'd love to give a comprehensive I just don't know what you're going to get with them because they're, yeah. they're, they are literally shattered I mean if they can come away and get a win and it's you know we can get a Rangers West West Ham final it'd be, mm. I think it'd just be absolutely fantastic I don't think you could want for yeah. anything more but uh, I, I hope that both uh, Rangers and West Ham can put it out of the bag because I think it just what, what a wonderful final that would be yeah, it'd just mm. be unbelievable and I, I'd fancy Rangers against West Ham yeah that's going to be interesting. Yeah. And Andy, we've also got Europa Conference League, uh, Marseille and Feyenoord. Currently, as it stands, Feyenoord are winning that tie 3-2. It's going to be fireworks, certainly, in Marseille for that match, won't it? I mean, I saw, I saw on Twitter that the fans were certainly giving each other a good game earlier. <laughs> um, so I'm sure the police would be busy over there. But, uh, I mean, the first leg was absolute carnage. Um, I mean, some of the goals are just absolutely laughable. Um, so yeah, I think um, I think that's a very open-ended one. Um, obviously, with um, it's be interesting what happens there. Um, I think Leicester City will beat uh, Roma. I think they've got just a, enough quality on their side. To be honest with you, you know, like James Madison and Tiedemans, Harvey Barnes, and obviously you, you, know, you can't discount Vardy as well. Um, I think they'll get. I think they'll make it through to the final. So if I was to give it, give a plug for it, I think um, Marseille would do it at home, um, and uh, Marseille and Leicester for the final. I reckon. Oh, okay. And Craig, you feeling that as well? Uh I'm not sure. I think I think Roman might just have enough. Although Tammy Abraham's having a bit of a sticky spell, probably is mm. his most barren spell of the season, which is worrying. Um, but yes, yeah, I think Zaniolo and Abraham to turn it on at the Olympico. The Olympico will be nearly full. Yeah. Um, as well, and I've been I've been to to Roma to watch Rome play AC Milan, and we know when those guys get going as well. That is a proper atmosphere. So mm. yeah, I I disagree. I'm going to I'm going to go Roma Marseille final. I think. The atmosphere um, at the Velodrome in Marseille will be will be deafening uh, as well. So uh, I yeah. fancy Marseille to beat Feyenoord. So I'm going to go Marseille-Roma final for me. Yeah, no, definitely feeling that, especially with the form of Zalewski at the moment from left back. I know he's been very late developer, but yeah, his yeah, form has good. been really impressive, especially with Pellegrini really pulling it on the midfield as well. So yeah, fancying Roma to basically go 1 0, I think, here and uh, just win the tie over the two legs. So uh, a yeah, let's Mar go for a typical Mourinho yeah, victory, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Typical yes. Mourinho style. <laughs> Um, I'm just going to go quickly through a preview of some of the fixtures that will take place as well. So I've got my beloved Wicked Wanderers taking on the MK Doms in the first leg of the semi-final playoff. I'm very confident. So it's a sellout there. We obviously take the uh, return leg on Sunday against MK Dons. Uh, 2,000 fans only allowed for this match from Wicked Wanderers. So it's sold out within a day. Annoying that I won't be able to go. But yeah, I'll be watching that on Sky. 
But that regardless, on Saturday, we've also got Liverpool versus Spurs at 7.45. So that could be a very big game for both teams in that. Uh, we've also got Freiburg taking on Union Berlin. So if you're interested in that fourth and third place battle at the moment in Bundesliga, it's at 2.30. Then on Sunday, we've also got Atletico Madrid taking on Real Madrid at 8pm. Uh, also Arsenal versus Leeds. Salinitana versus Calgary. That's the 5pm kickoff. And one of the teams that we haven't mentioned, Hellas Verona taking on Milan. That's a 7.45 kickoff. Hellas Verona have got some history of, uh, yeah, sticking it for sides that need results. So, uh, yeah, let's see what happens with that. Craig, any other fixtures that we've missed out from that list? Uh, no, you've picked out, picked out most of them. I've also highlighted Luton at home to Reading and Sheffield United at home to Fulham. So, you look at championship um, playoff stakes. Um, mm. you know, if Luton can win in Sheffield, you know, will Fulham still be drunk from the seven or win on Monday? We don't know. <laughs> so, um, yeah, plenty of I, that's what I prefer. I like watching it this time of season, not not particularly, you know, like a, a Spurs versus Liverpool. I like watching relegation battles and teams scrapping for promotion spots. That that for me is where you get the real, the real tense, uh, tense game. So. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I'm in Berlin this weekend, um, getting pissed, and but uh, I'll try and catch, I'll try and catch some football somewhere. Yeah, definitely. And Andy, any uh, any other fixtures? Should I say? Um, like I said, obviously got the, you know, the battles in uh, relegation, but yeah, I've obviously got Man- uh, Brighton playing Manchester United. Uh, I like to be meeting up with my old boss uh, from work. He's a Brighton fan, so uh, that'll be uh, entertaining. Um, and hopefully, we won't get beat. <laughs> so. <laughs> what about you, Alex? Anything that we've missed out from that list as well? No, not really. I mean, it, I mean, when you guys start talking about the Bundesliga, I must admit it sort of does it does go over, over my head. I mean, I like keeping up to date with it, but I. I don't keep up, keep up to date with all the fixtures, but I want to make one quick point, which I noticed earlier on. So I started with by saying about the quadruple with Liverpool at the beginning of the podcast. Mm. Now, the last game of the season for Man City is against Aston Villa, <laughs> which yeah. is Stephen Gerrard's Aston Villa. So will Stephen yeah. Gerrard bring the title to Liverpool? That's what I'm asking. Because if, well, if he well, can topple if he can topple Man City at the end of the season, potentially. He's handing the trophy over to Liverpool. I just noticed that. Or does he slip up again? Slip up again. Does he slip up again? Oh, he's that straight from my mouth. Had to be stopped. It just, to me, was a standout fixture. I thought, blimey, Gerard could potentially, you know, he goes and beats Pep Guardiola City at the end of the season, and they're equal on points. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, the drama continues to te- potentially anyway. So will we have another Guerrero moment? I don't know. Um, but we'll leave on that bombshell. Um, so without further ado, many thanks to Alex from Monsportif. Um, Alex, great to have you on and giving us your opinions. But more importantly, where can our listeners find you and Monsportif? Yeah, we're on Twitter, Monday Sportif LDN, uh, which is a nice original hashtag there, or whatever you want to call it, at uh, tag. Yeah, and we're on um, we're on all platforms for the uh, we, we do a podcast, which is unfortunately not live, and we, we luckily you don't see uh, my ginger face, uh, so it's just all it's just all audio. Uh, but it's myself and Ricky. Um, we try and keep it entertaining and light and topical. So uh, yeah, give us a listen. Um, no pressure. But again, no, uh, guys, listen, I really appreciate coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've thoroughly enjoyed myself. And uh, I'll, I'll, yeah, it's just thanks very much. 
No problem. No, Thank definitely recommend the listeners to uh, listen to your pods. It's uh, definitely insightful and I've enjoyed it, definitely. Um, but more importantly, thanks to Craig and Annie for their contributions. So listeners, if you haven't already done so, please make sure you subscribe to our social media channel. So on Twitter at HopelessPod and on Instagram at the Hopeless Wonder Podcast. Hope you have a great week or weekend whenever you're listening to us. But for now, take care and we'll see you at next week's episode. Take care, everyone.